Today's message is called Mary's Psalm. And we're going to be looking at Luke 1, if you want to turn there. So we're looking at Mary's Psalm, how to respond when God's plan interrupts our plan. How we respond when God's plan interrupts our plan. So in this Advent season, we're celebrating the unique plan of God. And many of you have heard it so much that we don't really ponder and take in the significance of the gospel. That the creator God, the maker of heaven and earth, came to this dark world as light to redeem us. And when God came, he didn't come as a conquering king, did he? He came, he took on flesh of a humble baby born in a manger. Grew up, lived a sinless life, fully God, fully man. Died on the cross to save us from our sins. Ho-hum, many of us say. We've heard this so many times. But that just tells us that we need to stop and we need to learn from Mary as a model to ponder the greatness of the gospel. The Psalm of Mary, this summer uh, we did a series uh, on the Psalms. You might have remembered, I called it the Psalms for all seasons. And we looked at David um, and how David wrote a song, wrote a poem for each season of his life whether it was good or bad, in times of celebration and in times of darkness. And from David and from these Psalms, we learned how do we extol and magnify God no matter what season of life we're in. Well, here's a New Testament version. Here's Mary's Psalm. And before we, uh, we read the passage, I do want to reframe the question for you. And I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you in what way is God interrupting your plan for your life? Have you ever had that experience where you had a plan for your life and God interrupted it? How did you respond? Did you resist it? Did you say no way? Did you submit to it? In big ways and small, as we look forward to 2022, what if the Lord asks you to change your plan? Think about what it was like for a poor Jewish girl in a dumpy little town called Nazareth. A God-fearing woman who had a plan for her life. We don't know exactly what it was, but at that time, women didn't have a lot of rights, a lot of ability for income. And so to marry a good man like Joseph, someone who had a good profession and a protector, she had things set up until God interrupted it. And how did she respond? How would you respond? So let me give the context before we read the scripture for today. So in in Luke 1 earlier, we see that an angel appears to Mary. And the angel says that you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be the son of the most high. Of course, she's very troubled by this as any of us would be if an angel like Gabriel came to us. And Mary's human and she's reeling and she's saying, how can this be? Because as a human, 
and an intelligent young woman, she knows that you can't have a baby without a man until the Holy Spirit reveals to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and you'll become pregnant with the Son of God. And later on, she travels to Elizabeth because the angel says, your, your relative Elizabeth is, is pregnant with John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Christ. And Mary visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, affirms that, you know, that message you have is true. Inside of your body is the Lord. And we're reminded of the great phrase, nothing is impossible with God. So that's the context. And so, would you please stand for the reading of the word? We're going to be looking at Luke 1, starting at verse 46. And this is Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you uh, for this song, for this response when you interrupt our plans. And I pray today we would learn that when your great plan interrupts our little plan, that we would do what Mary did and we would magnify you. That we would rejoice in you, God, our Savior. And God, that we would identify in our true self, which is to be a servant of the Lord, submitted wholly to your will. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Isn't that a powerful song? I want to give a little bit of background. In my prayer, I pretty much highlighted the three major takeaways. There's so much we could unpack here. But we're going to be really camping out in verses 46, 47, and 48. And I would encourage you to memorize it and to hide it in your heart. Let me read it again. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's the first uh, principle that we're going to learn is that when God interrupts our plan, we are to magnify the Lord. We're going to learn what that means. And that our spirit should rejoice in God, our Savior. We want to have a heart that rejoices over the right things, namely God and our Savior Christ. And in 48, we're going to learn that it's, it says he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. When you think of your identity, is the first thing that comes to your mind that you're a servant. 
that you're a slave to God. That's the challenge that we're going to learn today. But let me give you a little bit of background. Okay, um, this is written, obviously, by Luke. Luke is, uh, is probably the only disciple who's a Gentile. He was a physician. And uh, at the time he wrote this, Mary was older, probably. And it says in the beginning of Luke um, that he wanted to make a narrative that was orderly, so we could have certainty of the things that God has accomplished. And Luke said as a historian that he was going to seek out eyewitnesses. He was a disciple of Paul, likely. And so as the disciples were older and Mary was older, he probably interviewed Mary. And that's probably how he got this song. Another um, aspect that we ought, to all, we ought to know, and I already mentioned it, is that the genre of this song is a psalm. And I'll unpack that for you. When you look at this psalm, this song, this poem, when you read it, it just screams the psalms of David. And and Mary was, she was um, of the line of David. Joseph was of the line of David. Uh, Elizabeth was of the line of the Levites, right? Because her, because Zechariah was, um, was a priest. And so Mary had grown up hearing the word of God. I mean, she has a priest in her family. And uh, that's important to, to know. So that's the genre of, of what we're reading, the poem. And uh, I also want you to consider that, do you think that Mary had goals for herself? I mean, we all have goals for ourselves, right? And, you know, at the time in Jewish customs, uh, as soon as women were of age, they would marry, even in their teens. And so it's very likely a lot of the commentators um, would assume that she was a, a teenage woman at this time. And she had her life, you know, just think of her personal plans for herself. And a lot of us right now, you're at that stage where there's a lot of roads open ahead of you. And we have great plans. And even some of us who are a little older, there's still a lot of choices to make and a lot of paths we could go. Mary was in that place as well. And like I mentioned before, things seemed to be set up. She found a good man, an honorable man, and of good reputation. Of good reputation until the Holy Spirit changed that (laughs) and allowed him to be made of poor reputation. But also, I just wanted to mention that you, you can see it in her song, but, you know, we're an individualistic people. You know, Americans tend to be, but the nation of Israel was very important. In a lot of collective cultures, it's not just living for yourself, but also for your country. And you remember at this time, Herod um, was the king of Judea. He was a wicked king, we know, because he killed so many babies in trying to exterminate Jesus. That tells you a lot about his character. Keen will be playing that part. You should check him out. He's going to be in a, a play coming up. <laughs> Sorry, Keen. <laughs> little shout out. I played Herod myself um, in a play when I was a kid. But also they were under Roman law. And so the Jewish people, including Mary, had a desire for Israel to be liberated. And I just wanted to touch on that because I want you to see through Mary, like right, right now in our country, in case you haven't noticed, there's a lot of division There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of opinions about um, what directions we should go. And there's a lot of angst related to 
so many different issues, political, COVID responses, uh, foreign policy or whatnot. And any citizen would carry some of that angst of the greater people. But I want you to notice that Mary cast these things upon the Lord. Once again, let me reframe um, the, the question. The question is, how do you respond? How did Mary respond? How do the people of God respond when God interrupts our grand plan with his plan? Our grand plan, of course, is I'm being sarcastic because we think in our little finite minds, we think our plans are so important. And in many ways, they are important to us. But we fail to see that there's this great gospel narrative, a grand plan that God has, and we all play a part. It's a team sport. Mary, she had an important part. She had a unique part. In no way am I saying that you can universalize every aspect of Mary's story. But hey, you know, you have a quarterback, a starting quarterback, but you also have like a a long snapper. And you also have practice squad players. I don't know what part you're going to play, but we're all on the same team and we all have a part to play. So from Mary, even though she had a very important part, obviously carrying the Messiah into this world. I mean, that's a unique one that no one will ever replicate. But there is something about her character and her response to God's interruption into her plan that we can learn from. As a backdrop before we get into those three verses, I want to look at just a couple of characters in the Old Testament. We read from Moses, and I think it's awesome that we read from, I mean, that's a Holy Spirit thing. I didn't know that we were going to read from that, but Moses' song, song throughout important periods is always important to, to establish important parts in Jewish history. But think about when Moses was called, okay? Moses grew up in Egypt. He murdered someone. He was on the run. He went to Midian to become a shepherd. He went from prince to shepherd, and he's probably going to hide out as a fugitive for the rest of his days. That was his plan. He got married have a quiet life. What did God do? He came in the form of a burning bush. What did he do? He interrupted Moses and says, not only am I going to send you back to Egypt, but I'm going to have you be the deliverer. And worst of all, you're going to be a public speaker, which was Moses' fear. Some of you are called to be speakers too, by the way, and you have fear. But just like what God said to Moses, he says, did I not make the mute and the blind? It's not, basically, my paraphrase, it's not about you, it's about me, God says, and what I will do through you. So as you're sitting there thinking about your plans, what if God wants to use the nobodies of the world to do his work? Are you willing to be open to that? Think about Abraham when he was called. What did he do? Here I am, Lord, send me. He was like, he lost faith. He had Ishmael. Why? Because he didn't trust the word that God had given him. He lost hope. And what did Sarah do? Sarah laughed at God's plan. What will you do when God interrupts your plan? Will you laugh? Will you do what Abraham did and take it into your own hands and create an Ishmael in your life? Think about Gideon when he was called. Mighty man, I've called you. (laughs) And he just has so much doubt. And he keeps putting God to the test over and over again. 
full of doubt, full of fear. And then we get to this New Testament passage where Zechariah was told, he's praying for a son and God gives him a son and then he doubts and so he's mute. But I want you to compare that now as we look at verse 46. Compare that to Mary and think about it. All those people I listed, how they responded. Think about you and how you respond when God calls you. But this is what God wants us to learn. I was praying and I was like, Jesus, what do you want us to learn about your earthly mother? What is it we can learn? And I think what we can learn is in this song, you really see Mary's heart, the biblical Mary, the real Mary, not any um, mythology about Mary. It says in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everyone say that. Say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, when you say that, is it truthful? My soul, everything. Now, what is the soul? The soul in the Greek is the seat of the heart, the mind, the emotions, the volition. It's the deepest part of an individual, the soul. It's the eternal part. It's the part that has to be renewed and reborn in Christ. That deep core of yourself is your whole soul about what? Magnifying. What does magnify mean? means to make bigger. Of course, God is huge already. He doesn't need us. But in our subjective point of view, magnify means to bring to the forefront, to make who God is large in our hearts and our minds, and to make us less, to make ourselves less, to kneel down before him and to put us in the proper perspective. And who is the Lord? I magnify the Lord. It's the title given to God, the Messiah. The word of God says, out of the depths of the heart, the mouth speaks. What that means is when we're shaken up, who we truly are comes out. And let me just tell you, I'm not Mary. <laughs> I'm nothing like her. Uh, recently, like at Thanksgiving, um, I had decided that uh, this year I've been, you know, hosting so often that I wasn't going to host this year. And, but, you know, I gave into my, um, I guess I had a little bit of a good heart. And so I invited one of my neighbors over, for, you know, for evangelistic purposes. And I cooked this turkey and he's coming over and I'm carving the turkey. And it's, he's coming in the front door and it's, I open it up and it's dry. A little drier than I wanted. And I'm like, Jen's there and like they're coming in the door. You ever feel that pressure, anybody? And then the, the nice piece of meat falls into the abyss, into this bunch of grease. And what came out of my mouth at that moment? I magnify the Lord. No, that isn't what came out. I can't repeat it. My children are here. <laughs> There's nothing like having a pastor and saying swear words under your breath, like in front of your wife on Thanksgiving Day. Right, Pastor Chris? <laughs> okay, um, the point is, is that you have an event like that. I know you, you, none of you have ever done that, anything like that. But in those moments, where did that come from? That's not me. Guess what? That is me. That is me. And all of us, don't look at me like you're all great. You do it too. Come on. 
the point is, is that when we're shaken up, now that's a silly turkey story, but imagine if something major happens, something bad happens, or there's, you know, was this bad? Hey, she's going to have the Messiah. Well, how about this? Think about what this calling costs Mary. She knows that she's unwed. She knows how the society will judge her. How is Joseph going to look at her? At that time, she could have been killed, right? She might even have, through the Holy Spirit, an intuitive sense of what this would cost. She knew the scriptures. It said that the, you know, like later on, Simeon would say it would pierce her soul. She would see her son someday on the cross. All, the, all of Jesus' followers would suffer greatly. Yet the way she responded is nothing like the way I responded or you responded. And I think it's a little snapshot of why God might have selected her. Mary's life, and here's the key. She was so filled with the word of God. Not only did she fill herself with the word of God, but she meditated on the word of God. And it's so evident. And I just want to take a few minutes just to to show you. Look at verse um, 46. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That comes almost exactly from Psalm 34 two. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Isn't that so similar? 47, Mary said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This comes from Isaiah 45, 21. There's no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. Verse 48, Mary said, God has looked on the humblest state of his servant. That is so similar to 1 Samuel 1.11, when Hannah, who was saying a prayer, said, Look at the affliction of your servant, and remember me, forget not your servant. Are you seeing a pattern? Verse 49, A, Mary said, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord has done great things for us. 49 says, Mary says, holy is his name. Psalm 111.9 says, holy and awesome is his name. Mary said in verse 51 of her song, she said, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. I think of Daniel 4 when it talks about Nebuchadnezzar being, going from being the king to eating grass, how God humbled him. And then finally, in verse 55, Mary said, As he, God, spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. And then over and over, it seems like the citing of the fathers, the laws, the Psalms, the prophets. Are you seeing how much this was embedded inside of Mary? Do you think when Mary heard the angel and heard of her, the little slice of her role, do you think she had it all figured out? Do you have it all figured out? It could be that God gives you the light of the path in front of you and you don't have all the answers. We want all the answers, but we don't have it. But what do we do in those situations? We magnify the Lord. Another definition of magnify is to declare who God is, that he's great. Sometimes, and God speaks in many ways. I don't know if he's going to come with an angel for you, but he might come through a brother or sister. He might come through a message. He comes through his word. 
He comes through the Holy Spirit, a still small voice. And sometimes he comes through circumstance. Pastor Chris talked about, um, I think it was last week, about how the physical affliction he's experienced allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to him in a special way, in a hospital bed. My friend Darnell just got out of his surgery and he was just telling me all the things that God has been showing him through this affliction. So it's not only through the Word of God. Of course, it never contradicts the Word of God. It could be through your life circumstance that God is showing you something new. And you don't have all the answers. But what do you do in that moment? You reflect on who God is. You magnify His name and you ponder. I was speaking to a a friend of mine, uh, a new friend, a couple of years ago. Norm, you might remember this. I was, I was invited to be, for some strange reason, I was invited to be on this apologetics radio show. And it was at midnight and like 12 people listened, but D'Amico listened. I couldn't, I couldn't understand what they're talking about half the time. But, um, but one good thing that came out of it is I met this, uh, this, this apologist who was very um, humble. And I, was just, I ran into him the other day and he said, you know, I didn't even bring up Mary, so I take it as a God thing. And he says, you know what Mary teaches you? Teaches you to fast from technology. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean Mary teaches you to fast from technology? He says, think about how she treasured things and how she just pondered things. And I really asked him to unpack that for me. And we were talking about like the technology. And he said that innocent conveniences have turned into indispensable necessities. Think about this Christmas time, all the devices we want. You know, I, I walk on campus every day. Everyone's always plugged in. They have their earbuds. And we are frenetic, and we're always going from one thing to another. And I'm not saying it's all bad stuff, but we go from one thing to another. And um, one sociologist says that we have, like, a, attention, a national attention deficit because... Instead of just getting information, there's formation happening in our minds through our technology. And I was just really thinking about that. And you think about what Kevin said a couple weeks ago when he was preaching on uh, 1 John 5. He said that we are to keep the Word of God and treasure it. And he, he talked about how every day for an hour he'll just read the Word and just treasure it in his heart. And I felt very challenged by that, aren't you? Like, do we really take the time, uninterrupted time, to treasure it? And you think about Mary when she walked to Elizabeth. That was like a hundred miles. <laughs> and commentators believe that maybe while she was walking, she was pondering, which means you have these different things put in your mind at the same time. I'm pregnant, no man, Holy Spirit, and it's just pondering. And Mary is a ponderer, and you might need to spend some time not just filling your mind with, like what I do, like Patriots podcasts or all meaningless things like that. And, you know, a little distraction's fine some of the time, but ponder the things of God. And I think that's a challenge. If we want to magnify God, we need to ponder it. Does that make sense? So that's the first verse is that we magnify, in verse 46, we magnify the Lord. Everyone with me? All right, the second one um, that we want to look at is that my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Again, spirit is the same, another word for soul. 
It's a synonym. So it's the, it's the deepest part in the core. Rejoices in what? God, my Savior. And of course, in the Greek, rejoice means rejoice or be glad in. And it, this follows, my spirit rejoices. It follows from the magnification that if we are meditating on the right things, we're going to rejoice in the right things, not just trivial things. And it's really important to notice here that Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. What a picture that with, this is unique in human history, that within this young woman is a baby, and someday she would see that baby as a grown man on the cross bleeding, and that blood is what washed away Mary's sin. Mary needed a Savior as well. And she rejoices that God not only is the Savior and that God cares and wants to save humanity, but it's her personal Savior. And, and, and those of us here, as we contemplate the darkness in our heart, the only thing that can clean us is the blood of Christ, that Savior. But in Christmas we see that, wow, God came. He cared. He humbled himself to give us a chance. If we're not rejoicing over God, over the gospel, over the Savior, what do we rejoice in? When we're not part of God's plan, because God made you for his plan, we seek other adventures. We try to live vicariously through dramas, through fictional characters. We rejoice over silly things like the stupid Celtics and their garbage team. Sorry about that. Go Clippers. <laughs> um, listen up, everybody. <laughs> you look at Mary's um, song here. Is she always just extolling herself and talking about her feelings and wh what she's all about? No, she's rejoicing in God. I looked at the billboard, um, the top three songs. Okay, it's the only time I've ever done that. And I looked at the lyrics. And the top three songs, on average, I counted. Okay, in these four-minute songs, the number one song says the word I or me with a couple we's in there 28 times. The, the, the number two song had it 59 times. Four-minute song. 50, 59 times talking about me and I. And the number three song is 32 times. And I even did the math. It's like on average, like the first song is 0. 0.78 eyes <laughs> per line. So in other words, every single line is about self. Doesn't that seem right? So these people, all of us, were listening to these, these songs. The whole thing is, is that Mary, she doesn't talk just about herself. The only time she talks about herself is that she says, she says, look at my humble estate. She compares herself and how lowly that God would condescend and meet her with the greatness of God. And so everything that she's about is to magnify God. It's like when, if you ever go fishing, you know, Matt fishes and he, he cheats, he holds the fish up to the camera so it looks bigger than it is. But true fishermen 
We'll put like a dollar bill or something next to the fish so you know the actual size. Not like Kamada who cheats. Okay, so um, why do you put a dollar bill there? Or, you know, Norm is really into Sasquatch and like Sasquatch, you know, prints and stuff, you know, like Bigfoot. So you put a quarter inside to see the size of the print. You didn't think that was going to happen, did you, in this message? What's the point of the quarter? What's the point of the dollar? It's meant to give scale. And so you look here at Mary's song. That's a weird transition, huh? You look at Mary's song, and she's talking about her humble estate. And the only reason she brings herself up is to what? To show the greatness and the scale of God and how merciful he is. Is your life like that? Is the only time you talk about yourself in some way to magnify God? Not me. (laughs) But most of her song is what God has done. So why was Mary chosen among women? I mean, that's that's an answer that only God has. But I think one of the reasons is her servant's attitude. And that's the third verse we want to look at in verse 48. So the first thing is that when God interrupts our plan, we magnify, the, we magnify God. That's what we learned from Mary. The second thing we learn is that we rejoice in God our Savior. In this Christmas time, we meditate on God the Savior. And the third thing is, look at that verse in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. How does Mary describe herself? Does she say that she's the queen of heaven? Does she say that she is super special and should be venerated? She should be honored, respected. She says her identity is a humble servant. And the Greek word for servant here is someone who doesn't have rights. Someone who's been bought. Someone who's a slave. If you want to backtrack, look at verse 38, Luke 1:38. This sums up Mary so much. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant of the Lord. Is that your attitude today? When God interrupts you, I'm a servant. When things don't go the way you want them to go, I'm a servant. I want you to notice that Mary didn't bargain with God. You want me to go, you want me to run for my life, become a fugitive. You want me to see my son on a cross. You want me to lose my reputation, lose my fiance's reputation, which would follow her her whole life. Because you know, in John 8, the Pharisees were mocking Jesus, saying, You don't even know who your father is. For someone like Mary, who is such a wholesome person, a righteous young woman, to be given that reputation, don't you think she should get something out of that? See, that's how we do it. We bargain with God, right? Well, what will you do? You want me to be a missionary to Japan? Well, what will you do for me? Ask Matt. Matt F. I'm calling you to be a missionary. But what about... I'm calling you. I want you to leave this behind. I'm going to call you to do this thing. Wow. I think the greatness in Mary is her humility. 
And that's according to her son, Jesus. Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I have to say the true identity of Mary is that she's a servant. That's how she identifies herself. That's how Jesus identifies her. Um, yes, it's true. The, Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church has called her a co-redeemer, mother of God, a mediator, queen of heaven. And frankly, I would say I grew up with most of my friends were Catholic. And with all the love of my heart, I would just say, study the scriptures, study Christ, study what Christ says about his own mother. In Matthew 12, Jesus puts things in perspective. Because the crowd says, hey, your, your mother's here talking about Mary. And what does Jesus say? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, no one is born of woman is more important than who? Mary? John the Baptist. Luke 11:22, Jesus said, blessed are the, a woman in the crowd said, blessed is the mother who nursed you. And Jesus said what? Blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. This is not meant to be in any way disrespectful of Mary. But Jesus made it very clear what perspective we are meant to have. And, and, and you know what? Mary has, has no control of what people after her death do to her or to her name. She's one of the great hosts in 1 Thessalonians 4 when the dead in Christ will raise. In Acts 1, we see that she's in the upper room in prayer. She's under the disciples. Her son raised up disciples, taught them how to do church, and then Mary subjected herself under their leadership. And those same disciples, uh, in, the form, well, in the form of Paul and Barnabas, they were preaching the gospel and the people tried to do what? Venerate them. They tried to bring sacrifices to them. You're Zeus, you're Hermes. Let's do sacrifices. And what did Paul and Barnabas say? They said something that I think Mary would say herself. Friends, why are you doing this? Why are you worshiping me? We're only human like you. We're just bringing the good news. And it says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. That's a different topic, but Mary was a servant of the Lord. And so I think what the third thing we need to understand is that we magnify the Lord. We rejoice in God our Savior, but we need to identify ourselves as servants. See, so much of our life is there's a resume problem. Every time in life, what do we have to do? We always have to prop ourselves up how great we are. You go on a dating app, you have to talk about how great you are. You have to use the best pictures. We care about our, our, our names and our titles and the letters after our name. And some people say, no, you must address me as Dr. So-and-so. Some of us identify ourselves through our accomplishments or past accomplishments. I used to be the captain of such and such a team or our nationality or our gender. Some of us identify ourselves by our failures. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. What we learn from Mary and we learn 
by the Holy Spirit is we are meant to identify ourselves as humble servants of the Lord. Do you identify as a servant of the Lord, bought at a price of Christ's blood, willing to go wherever he sends you? Someone in the church asked me to mentor him. And in a very practical exercise, we just looked at how much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you spend uh, studying the word? How much time do you spend serving the church? How do you, and we just did an analysis. I said, what do you think about that? And I showed him my calendar and, and you know, in all humility, it's just like, okay, it's very basic. Okay, work, family, church, and maybe a little bit of art. That's pretty much what it is. But lest I come off as being um, great or thinking I'm great, about 15 years ago, and I, I hardly shared this story, um, a pastor in, in a previous church of mine was, shared a story with me. He said, hey, Mike, um, I was praying over you, and I felt a pastoral call in your life. And you know what I said to that? I had a visceral response, and I said, no way. I don't see it. No way. And I completely rejected it. Do you know why? Because it would mess up my plan. And all these years later, um, before he passed away, um, that previous pastor mentor, I said, hey, you know, Pastor Eric, you remember what you said to me about pastoring? And he said, he goes, yeah. I go, do you really think that's true? Because I really didn't want to do it. And he said, yeah, maybe not as a senior pastor, but as a support. I'm really humbled. That's what I'm walking in now. But the point of the story is my rejection. And it took a lot of, like, I don't want to do this. But look at Mary's response. Kyle, you can come on up. Um, my challenge for you, and there's too many people to list, but... Um, we're meant to magnify the Lord. And maybe you're like me and you're, you're resisting. And I, I have an image of like a, a stallion that needs to be broken. And uh, that's kind of what, you know, my wife spoke over me is like at that time is like you're like a stallion that's not broken. But once you're broken by the Lord, he can use you as a servant. And uh, maybe you're in that place too. We want to magnify the Lord. I think of D'Amico and Chris, how they've stored the Word of God in their souls, and now God's using them. I think of, I saw Jing the other night, and all she cares about is, she goes, we need to hurry. We need to tell more people about the Savior. She rejoices over the Savior. I think of all of you, Cynthia, Kathy, Anita, Allie, so many people who have a heart to serve. So many of the, the women here want to be a servant of the Lord. Garen and Norm are great examples. I asked Kyle to write a song um, based on this passage. And uh, as Kyle plays it, I want you to pray and, and to think and meditate. You know, if God were to interrupt your plan, how would you respond? Would you magnify him? Would you rejoice? 
in the Savior, your God? Would you be willing to serve him? So, thank you, Kyle. Uh, yes, my name is Kyle, and, uh, you know, occasionally uh, me and Mike, uh, we do Bible studies, and uh, he really challenges me occasionally to write a song about the, the Bible verses that uh, we study. And even, you know, Pastor Chris, he challenges me to write songs for, you know, Second Day. And and it's just uh, it's just pretty crazy how uh, God can change our plans, because we always start with our plan first, and then, you know, things change. I know... Uh, Pastor Chris, uh, you wanted to be a Navy SEAL doctor and astronaut, I believe. Yeah, you know, th- yeah. Th- thank God uh, he changed those plans, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even for me, I wanted to go to University of Las Vegas and uh, my plans changed and uh, all for the work of God, you know, the reason why I'm here today is, you know, because God changed my plans. And uh, so... You know, Mike uh, um, initially uh, asked me if, you know, I could just, you know, put a melody to Mary's song. But then I was thinking, oh, maybe I, you know, should just write a song about Mary. But then uh, I didn't want to change her song already, so I did half and half. So I talked about when the angel visited her and uh, maybe how she could have felt. And, and I, I talked about what I learned what we can learn from Mary and also how we can see her as a whole, as a, as a person, uh, just from her faithfulness. Uh, so this song is called Mary. Magnifies the Lord 